All right, I'm here with Tom for the Midweek Pod. Tom, how are you doing? Are you all recovered? Yeah, I, f- I feel like today's my first human day back from, from being struck by COVID. But we turned around, so it's not too bad, to be fair. Yeah. How are you? Doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Back to back to normal after also getting infected by the plague a few weeks back. There. Took, a, took a little while, that did. Yeah. But yeah, I'm doing all right. And well, it's a good day. We are talking on Wednesday evening and the deal to bring in Ratcliffe has been ratified by everyone, the shareholders, the stock exchange, the FA, the Premier League. Uh, So it's fully done, 27.7% purchase of the club. Uh, It will go up to 28 and a bit by the end of the year. And uh, for the first time since 2005, there is not a single Glazer shareholder that is the majority shareholder. Well, this is this is good stuff. Yeah, I even saw some of our players like it on Instagram, which is it's always yeah. I I always kind of think that they're probably best not to just do that because then they've got to like everything, and then and people will just track like everything that they like. But I, I, yeah. I thought that was quite interesting, and obviously he's come out and said exactly what the fans want to hear at the moment with, with some of his statements and, and that's lovely to see talking about a new ground which is I think his preferable choice I think he said and got to get take United back to the the glory days and focusing on football and yeah he's obviously saying the right things right yeah. now so it and, it and it and it is it's genuinely exciting yeah it's a new dawn isn't it we can we can feel better about the situation at the club today than we could the day before yesterday. And it's he, you're right. He's saying all the right things. It feels like he's here to be a custodian of the club. And for for like mechanical reasons, I think he hasn't fully bought out the club. There was that in the tender document. We saw some of the the kind of communication in detail. It wasn't the minutes of the negotiations but the the sense of the different types of structures of bid that uh, Ratcliffe put in before the Glazers would accept and this looks like the only deal that was really on the table a minority shareholding for now which will I think given the way it's structured go to a full ownership over the next three years or so I mean time will tell but that there are strong indicators I would say that is what is going to happen and Ratcliffe has come in and said all the right things. I mean, he is all weirdly structured, isn't it? So he owns 27%. The six Glazer children all own less than that. And there is still some out in the public domain. Not much of the company now is, is owned, is publicly listed. He is doing this with his own money through a vehicle that's registered in the Isle of Man, investing into a Cayman Islands registered company, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, so it's always all fun and games there. But it just feels like this is the only deal that was available for now. And what what we did learn through the process, it, we knew already, is, is Ratcliffe is fabulously wealthy. He has at least four billion pounds in liquid assets, so cash, available to him. And we think something like 29 billion in total assets if you take into account his shareholdings in Ineos, of which, of whom Ineos Sport are basically the vehicle uh, running the operations, even though they're not the investors. It's all quite complicated. But anyway, much better than 
what we had previously, which was various lackeys reporting into Joel Glazer. Yeah, and and uh, obviously it's 2024. It's the the new modern football, uh, the new look of modern football. It's 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 a Brexiteer who owns a petrol chemical company. It's not it's not like we've just kind of got the old businessman down the road. Yeah, though he is from the north and um he he is a business kind of down the road but he's not quite the the type that used to own a football club yet no i don't know even his suit is yeah like 30 years ago or 40 years ago or, or back in back in actual time like it's yeah it's still not the ideal owner but like in i think in this day and age you, you can't you can't really wish for that much better to be honest i know like we've spoken about before like we could have had Qatar, we could have had a hedge fund it's 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 yeah it's about as good as it gets really and 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 like i said like some of the statements that he's made have been have been exactly what the fans want to hear and also kind of the way that the movements that have, have already starting to take place like looking for best in class which he said yeah is what we need in the in the director class and the executive class of the of the company which is I mean, it's something that we've obviously spoken about loads and loads before on, on the pod, like it's, it's not rocket science and, and the statement of intent going after Dan Ashworth, I'm not sure we get into to Dan Ashworth's qualities and, and his pros and cons and, and all that and all the messiness that's involved regarding us trying to poach him from Newcastle in a bit, but it's, it's, it's really positive to be honest, like. I mean, there's, there's definitely doubts. I have hesitations and it's not, I'm not super excited. I'm sh- there's a lot of people on Twitter who are kind of like blowing up. And then there's other people who are kind of like, oh, it's, it's not going to be that great. Still full blazer sale only kind of people and, and everything in between. I think I'm, I, I'm definitely optimistic, but yeah, I, I, I still, I still, obviously we need to see that uh, need to be put into practice yeah. before I get too too excited and too carried away. Well, look, I mean, taking those points in turn, he, he's definitely not perfect. There will be many fans who don't agree with his politics. He's a Tory. He's a Brexiteer. He lives in Monaco for tax purposes. Uh, he may be from Failsworth originally, but he's a long, re- long removed from those roots, I think. And his company makes some of the most polluting products in the world. It's petrochemicals. I mean, they're, they're known mainly for these plastic pellets that then go into yeah, other plastic products, which, which never decay and will be polluting the planet for, from here until the end of time, basically. So it's, none of it's awesome, really. If you, if you look at him as a, as a business person, I don't know whether that's better or worse than the, the local businessman who made sausages, which is what we used to have. Or the Glazers, who originally made their money from fish canning and then cheap strip malls. And if you remember Andy Green, Anders Red back in the day, like dove deep into their seedy little business, and it really was some great stuff there. I think his, uh, I think his blog's still live on the internet, even if he doesn't publish anymore. So I don't know. We've had a bunch of crappy owners. Uh, Wayne on a previous pod a couple of weeks ago talked about some of the better owners, and it seems to me. Again, time will tell that uh, Ratcliffe is doing this for legacy purposes and he's likely to be a better owner. And you can't doubt his credentials. I mean, what he has done very successfully over time is take toxic assets literally and figuratively 
um, and combine them together to make a much stronger business. Ineos is now a business that has 65 billion euros worth of revenue per year. There's uh, still people I get coming to me on Twitter going, oh, this guy can't afford it. 65 billion euros of revenue per year. He paid himself personally half a billion pounds in dividends last year. Personally. So, I mean, like, there's no doubt this, apart from, from the state owned clubs, this is now the richest owner in the Premier League. We think that's all a bit lacking transparency. And then, yeah, what does he want? He wants, as he said today in his interview with Dan Roan at the BBC, world class in every position. And they're structuring it as such. There will be an overall PLC board, of which uh, there are a couple of INEOS representatives on there. And then the football club board is basically all INEOS people. It's going to be Barada, the CEO, Jean-Claude Blanc, the head of INEOS Sport, Brailsford. And then we're going to get, I assume, a new football director, a new head of transfers or negotiations or whatever you want to call it it looks like they're trying to bring in jason wilcox to do that and a completely new modern structure with competent people who as you alluded to there have actually done the job before because what we've had like for the bunch of well a decade now are people who are like first timers in the job edward wood first timer in the job arnold first timer in the job Murta, first time in the football director job. Darren Fletcher, bless him. We love him, but first time as a technical director. You know, it's just like learner drivers in charge of a Ferrari over and over again. So as part of that modern structure, it looks like we're bringing in Dan Ashworth from Newcastle. A bit of fun and games this week, haven't there? Newcastle have put him on gardening leave and seems to be all sort of plain chicken on the negotiations, doesn't it? Threatening to make him wait out the rest of his contract. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of mad that in, in this day and age, you, you will pay £20 million for a sporting director. And, and I guess if he is as good as kind of the, the mainstream media will, will lead you to believe, then £20 million is nothing compared to what he could create for the football club in terms of not just like the signings and the recruitment, but the, the culture as well, which he's supposed to be a culture man, isn't he? He's supposed to be like a man who. Yeah. Set up. And, yeah. And all this kind of stuff. The, the, the thing with Dan, Dan Ashworth is that in some respects, it's quite exciting because it, it, it feels like he's the, the best in class, but it also feels like it, it feels like the most mainstream appointment that there could be. And it feels like we're just going after this man who everyone knows is going to be great. It's like Henry Winters lord, lord, lording him and like everyone. If, if, if you said to anyone on the street, any football fan on the street, name a director of football, they would name Dan Ashworth because like they don't really know anyone else. Like he's, he's the man, like everyone knows who he is. Right. And he does kind of have this reputation of being like very infallible. He's everywhere he's been, he's been great. But he has made mistakes and stuff. He 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 was the man who pointed, appointed Sam Allardyce as England manager, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was on the committee, yeah. And it's kind of this weird, nebulous thing with directors of football. Like, I mean, I mean, I think it's a good appointment, sure. But I don't want to get carried away and think, think that he's like the messiah or anything. Because so much of his role 
is kind of nebulous. Like, what is culture? Like, what is DNA? It's, it's all these kind of buzzwords that I are kind of associated with, with like high performance podcast stuff, and then you also like look, look at recruitment. Like, how oh God, <laughs> how much, how much of the recruitment of the good recruitment at Brighton, for example, is down to him? How much of the culture is down to him? How much is of the the signings at Newcastle are down to him? Is it the good ones? Like Anthony Gordon was a great sign-in and I don't know, Dan Byrne or whatever, or is it the bad ones? It's like Sandro Tonali, like one of his, like, and kind of Eddie Howe talks yeah. about how Dan Ashworth isn't part of like the inner circle, as he liked to put it. And, and, and Eddie Howe is the biggest. There's been a lot of tension there, apparently. High yeah. performance podcast kind of stand there is and stuff. So it, it, it feels exciting in some respects, but I think that excitement should be tempered and, and, Jonathan Liu wrote, wrote an article and I know a lot of people have mm, like Jonathan, yeah. uh, like some people hate him or love him. And, and he's a very, he can be very snarky at times. And that article kind of did come across that way. I think to a lot of United fans and a lot of United fans have kind of jumped on him being like burn him at the state type of thing. But I think there are a lot of good points in there. And I think it's not, it's important not to get mm. too carried away by who he is and, and, and his, his previous previous experience because he is infallible but he is i'm, I'm sure he's, he's great in a lot of respects but it, it, i think the way that kind of english football holds him is some like absolute messiah of english of english football the, the reason why england are, are great again kind of thing is is a bit overstated yeah for sure let's temper let's temper our enthusiasm a little bit he is a suit after all and football fans like it was one thing discussing finances and debt and bonds and leveraged buyouts and like minority transactions all that's getting excited i'm not going to get a boner for a fucking suit uh, <laughs> no. sorry I, like it, it is important that united get the structure right and he he seems a person from all reports that will do that he'll get the right people in the right places and set up the system to succeed he is not the man who's doing the deals at brighton for unknown South American players. And as Eddie Howe likes to point out, because Eddie Howe does not like having a director of football, he's not been on the inner circle there. So I think that's part of the reason why Ashworth wants to leave, I think, because there's tension. He He's going to come into a, a, a situation at United now where there is like the most modern of modern structures. A football-oriented CEO, a football-oriented board, high-performance I mean that in sort of lowercase, <laughs> not uppercase, high performance oriented, world class, quote unquote, people in each position and and learnings from what six years of Ineos being involved with football and other sports now of all the mistakes they've made to get to this point. That makes me feel good. The the Ashworth stuff, the, the kind of you said Henry Winter, yeah, you know, Henry Winter gets out of bed and he's wearing Union Jack shorts, isn't he? And drinks out of his bulldog mug. And so I take that all with a pinch of salt. And then the Lou piece, I, I mean, I, I, I find his writing generally entertaining. I don't know whether he really brings out much insight a lot of the time. He uh, is uh, by default completely snarky. And the thing that I kind of that didn't annoy me, but I thought was a bit, bit of a cheap shot about that piece was he spent the last few years correctly pointing out what a clown show of a club United is for not having a proper modern football structure in place. And then as soon as we get a modern football structure in place, he gets all snarky about appointing someone to lead that modern football structure. You can't have it both ways. I'm yeah. Sorry. 
I'd say. Default snarky, fine, but they just felt a bit rich. Yeah, and I, I don't want to come across like that either because obviously like, we've spoken so, so often, as I said earlier in the pod, about how we need to get the right people in, we need to get the best in class, and it does feel like this is the best in class. If the, like we have kind of like done a massive search and like Radcliffe's men are all kind of thinking who could fit into this project best like and it's not just kind of Dave Rep Brailsford's mate when from when they used to play at beer England cricket together and that mm. type of thing it doesn't feel like they've done an exhaustive search but maybe they have behind the scenes I mean obviously this takeovers take it, it, it doesn't don't think there is probably that maybe there isn't a better man out there for it and maybe that's why he is such a mainstream Dan because he is he yeah. is so he is just so good mainstream Dan that's a great nickname we've got big Sir Jim or Sir Big Jim which one? Think, Big Sir yeah. Jim and uh, Mainstream Dan. Awesome. We'll see what happens with Wilcox and the other people. I assume Murta's going to go. I think I mentioned it on the, the pod with uh, Dan at the weekend. Dan Harris, not Dan Ashworth. Too many Dans. Mainstream Dan. Mainstream Dan. That, so there's that <laughs> fantastic anecdote from Norcross in the Times at the weekend about how Murta screwed up the signing of Harland from Mulder by getting the time wrong and calling Mulder at the wrong time. I just like, come on. <laughs> in my career, I've done a few things. I was in management consultancy, a strategy for a long time. And venture capital, I've come across a lot of people who talk in this kind of high performance way. And a lot of it's absolute bullshit. And my cynicism radar like starts peaking quite heavily and I can kind of smell it. And so there's, yeah, there's a little bit of that about i feel like there's a lot of that about brailsford feels like he would he would mm. you know have his own personal high performance podcast over breakfast every morning ashworth seems a bit more understated oh, yeah. than that. He, he likes he's not a, been a big media guy and and been front and center all of the time so that, that seems like culturally a little different but i think the culture thing is important like you need to you know you need to say line in the sand now what happened before is God gone? We are, we are doing things right now, and and so much of the pain that we've like kind of suffered over the last ten years is because of poor structure and poor management decisions. You know, not like all the focus is always put on the the manager, Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho, Oli. Like it's always on them, and we failed around them. It's not like there's a lack of spending. I, th- I think there was a report. I can't remember. Mirror maybe kind of detailing like why exactly United have a FFP challenge. It's because it's 550 odd million spent over the the last three year cycle. And so much of that is just awful, awful, awful spending. And the front and center right now and to beat up on him just for the sake of beating up on him. But it's, you know, it's the Anthony transfer, a, a signing that you know, his own analytics department valued at 25 million euros, and they ended up doing yeah, 100. How? How, how, how? That can never happen again because of the knock-on effects are so just extreme. And that's why we're in a difficult position. And there's nothing about this Ratcliffe takeover that will fix that. And there's nothing about potential Qatari owners that will fix that either because we're in a world of, of profit and sustainability rules that are very, very tight on how much you can inject and the maximum you can inject is 105 million over a three-year cycle but that money has to come from somewhere and it's not a magic money tree that's just going to produce that 
even Ratcliffe, even the Qataris as, as equity owner equity owner injection. So and then it's even tighter on UEFA rules, which is where we wanna like be. We've got to we've got to work to those which are sliding down to a seventy percent squad cost by twenty four, twenty five. And that's gonna work for everybody. So organically mm-hmm. we're gonna to have to build this club again. I say we, we as the community. Ratcliffe and the new team are going to have to build this club up again. It's going to be a long road. There's no magic fix here, but it starts with making the right decisions. And that comes from having the right structure. So in that sense, it all feels positive, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and the culture thing, I know it, it, it sounds very nebulous. And how do you build a, a good culture? I don't think it's by like sticking slogans on the wall and like, as like stuff that Jay Humphreys mentioned on his podcast and stuff like work harder not smarter or whatever yeah. bullshit that they want to say by high salary but that really is a, such a huge thing that that does need to change at this football club because i think i, I kind of just watching sancho last night and like how bad he was for dortmund yesterday and, and you just kind of just look at the broken players that have have been that united have churned out we need to the, the big thing that needs to happen, especially when you look at like the financial constraints, is that when people walk through the door, that they're gonna they're gonna improve at this football club and they're coming yeah. for success. Like that's what happens at all the best football clubs. Like, like City obviously spend a lot of money, but they don't buy a lot of the time they don't buy players who are ready made world class talents. Like they there is a lot of growth that needs to happen for a lot of those yeah, players. Most that they of the time. Obviously things are easier. So obviously things are easier there because they, they, there's not, if, if one player fails then they're not completely hamstrung financially by that. But it's the same at Liverpool. Like a lot of their players that they buy, look at Mo Salah, for example, Mo Salah was nowhere near the finished article when he went there, but he improved as a player and he bought into the success that Klopp had kind of bred at that football club. And that's, that's one of the the huge things that obviously needs to change. Obviously, when Fergie was there, then he the whole culture was very easy because he created it and instilled it for twenty years, and it had been uh, emboldened and strengthened by the success that he obviously had. But looking from the outside, the most difficult thing that needs to change, like especially if you're a suit, being able to to come in and change the culture of a football club and and and, and the, the changing rooms and the locker room and all these massive egos that exist inside of them to change that while all that is to change yeah. the the wheels while the bus is moving is very difficult and but that is obviously the, the, the big thing and that's what if we're led to believe from all of the 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 press who do love dan ashworth the henry winters of this world that is what dan ashworth is all about is it is all about changing cultures and that potentially is really really exciting yeah well, we'll be selling Dan Ashworth underpants in the uh, NQAT merch store. <laughs> Union Jack with Dan Ashworth <coughs> on the front. Yeah. Well, look. And a bulldog with Dan Ashworth's face on the, oh, on the, on the head. You can just see it now. Shall we sing the national anthem while we're at it? The <laughs> A line to all of this, I think, is uh, the interview that I don't, as we're speaking, it's not all come out. There's just sort of clips of it that Radcliffe has done with Dan Roan at the BBC in which he talks about the development of Old Trafford. I think we'd heard some of this through sort of back-channel briefings previously. People had said that the preference was probably to, to build a new stadium. The architects 
who had been assigned to look at the master planning uh, at Old Trafford, Populous had already said that they think that the stadium's reached the end of its shelf life and, and a new stadium probably needs to be built. Now, Ratcliffe has come out and said it, basically, that that's the preference is to build a new stadium. My, my, my personal feeling is I went into it in some detail with Wayne a couple of weeks ago, and he's the history buff. And he, 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 the history buff, said, look, you can keep the history with a new stadium. And I, I think that's probably right. And I think it's probably the right thing for the club overall. You can finance it. It's a brand new build with all the facilities that you want. Uh, and you don't have to worry with the legacy. And this is basically what Ratcliffe said, that you still, like, even if you do a reskinning job, you still have a, a hundred and something year old stadium underneath it. So, because at the Bernabeu and at Camp Nou, I mean, Camp Nou, they basically have taken everything out. They just kept the shell of some of the concrete bowl and they're building on top and they're just rebuilding it, basically. Uh, and uh, Bernabeu, not quite as extreme, um, but, uh, yeah, they're hundreds of millions of euros projects. Those were over multiple years. Um, and so it's like weighing the net net feels like new stadium is probably best for the club overall, even if... It's obviously a hundred years of history that you're, you're kind of burning in the process. It'll be so weird. It'll be so, so weird to 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 go into a into a new place, and it will take so long for it to feel like home again. I feel like it's not just like you can just walk into somewhere. Like it's the way that you are with your own house. Like when you move when you move places, it. it it takes a long time to for it to feel like it's yours yeah. and that's going to be the same way it's going to take it's going to take a lot of time getting used to it and it's going to have to take some massive wins and, and some special nights and special experiences for it to feel like that as well and it's going to be so difficult to get it right I, I guess in some respects I mean the blueprint is there from from someone like Tottenham who've been able to to really truly create something special cost them a lot of money to do so but you have to make it unique and and that's what Tottenham did like you can't just go and say oh we'll just do what Tottenham did because it won't fit United it has to be a unique experience it has to be unique to the football club like what they did yeah. with their one stand is is with something really special and it helped to create that incredible atmosphere that you do get at Tottenham and you, you wonder whether like the, the unique um, aesthetics of United that can be incorporated into a new build or something, that's going to be super costly to do something like that. The reason why a lot of stadiums look the same is because that's the cheapest way of yeah, creating yeah. them. But then you get some like fucking that. soulless, horrible bowl like you do. First time I walked into the Emirates, because I literally the exactly. love Highbury, right? It was... It was small, but there was something like authentically sort of attractive about it. And the, the developments they had done there over the years in the 90s kind of added to it, I think. Block end, it was kind of sympathetic to what Arsenal was. And walked into the Emirates, just immediately fucking hate this place. Horrible. And mm. even now, there's no... I mean, people used to joke about the Highbury Library, and they're all very civilised and all of that. But even now, the Emirates <laughs> never has an atmosphere, does it? It's just... And, and the new Stadium of Light and Benfica template, exactly the same. And there are so many it's templates. exactly the it's same. It's literally yeah. exactly the same. I, I do look to the States mm -hmm. and what has been done with some of the stadiums there. And it, oh, yeah. You know, there are some really... There are some, like, pretty crappy ones, new ones that no one likes, like the, the one that 
replaced the RFK Stadium in Washington. Everyone hates. But the SoFi Stadium in LA, magnificent venue. I mean, it cost $8 billion yeah. or something like that. The, the one in Atlanta. AT&T in Dallas. AT&T in yeah. Dallas. Very special. Some of them are like feel more basic, like the one up here in Seattle. It's is pretty bare bones. I mean, sixty five thousand people yeah. and did three sides of it really, which is a bit odd. But it, it, yeah. like the concourses and stuff are pretty basic. But I, I went to New Yankee Stadium. I enjoyed getting absolutely fleeced for a beer and a hot dog. <laughs> like just a phenomenally expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll take out a mortgage to pay for this hot dog. Yeah, great. But it's you know it's a great venue. So there are right ways and wrong ways to do it. And 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 like. He only hinted at it in this interview, but he talked about Trafford being the sort of industrial heartland. And it's kind of, can you incorporate things that are meaningful to United and to Manchester into a new stadium, if that's what's going to happen? And can you do it in a way that feels authentic? And I think that it's going to feel, that's going to be really hard. Because I, I, I think about the thing that gets the spidey senses tingling is, and I know this is much smaller scale, but every year United come out with some kit, which is supposed to be authentically Manchester. And it's just so much, mm. just so much inauthentic bullshit behind it. that You can smell and go, yeah, this is not right. This is just some fucking intern who's done a bit of Googling and gone, oh, yeah, cotton mill. We'll, we'll do something that's about authentic. <laughs> you remember that one with the, the, the kitchen mm. tablecloth? kit they that's what they claimed it was all about yeah. now it's cotton past or industrial past we've got the rose at the moment and like every year oh the stripey one was uh, apparently a kit they played in yeah for a game in 1906 or something but some it's all <laughs> so much bullshit and that's what you don't want you want something that feels authentically right and that that um we could you know feel is home and yeah i think you're right it'll take a while when we moved into this and house it's also the-, the missus painted every single room like to put her stamp on it. <laughs> so, like, it's also like the fact that United, at United, you, you are on top of the players, and at so many of like the old grounds, like Goodison, Upton Park, what it used to be, White Hart Lane, like Highbury, you can you you're completely on top of them. And yeah. and one of the the awful things that happens when and with a lot of new stadiums, like the Emirates, that you mentioned, and obviously the Olympic Stadium, which is obviously a little bit of a different situation, but you're too far away. Like you, there's there's such a gap, especially but the Emirates behind the goal and, and yeah, towards yeah. the corners. There's such a gap between the pitch and 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 the players, and and that's one of the things that is difficult to replicate in, in with with the new with the new grounds. But then it makes it makes the game and the, the ground scene so soulless. Yeah, it does. Like, Wembley's it, like that, it, isn't it's it? Just that's oh my god, you're so far away. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, the the new. Uh, well, I think it's called London Stadium, the West Ham one. It's no, I haven't actually. I've only been on the outside. I've back at the away end. Yeah. yeah. And it's awful. It's, it's just a shit stadium in general. Like the concourse is soulless as, as hell. It's it's horrible. But, I mean, not that United aren't going to create anything as crap as that, but it, it's still that. It's, 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 yeah, it, it, it's, it's almost not going to happen just being on top of the players. And that's what's so great about Old Trafford. You well, feel like you, if you think about something, so I, I like, I like, what's it called? Signal Edona Park, but Borussia Dortmund Stadium. Like they are right on top of the players. Mm. And they have that huge stand with the yellow wall. And and I, I think yeah. you don't have to do it as a circular bowl where it, every side, because that creates perfect sight lines, which we basically have at Old Trafford now, except for, I don't know if you've ever been up to the third tier at the North Stand. 
hate that. Yeah, it's like watching really football through a letterbox. Hate it. Horrible. Yeah. I've only ever done that once. Actually. A lot of the new bowls, they are like every everything is perfect sight lines and it's executive facilities in all corners of the ground. I mean, if you saw at the Super Bowl recently, they had sofas behind one of the end zones <laughs> and all this kind of nonsense stuff and bottle service and whatever. And it doesn't feel quite right. And I, it's almost like a new stadium should have some of that for sure, because people there is demand for corporate facilities and they'll pay 10 times what a normal uh, ordinary fan will do and it will keep the prices down for everyone else presumably or reasonable but like what is it we want as the a place that fans can gather every week and be together with their community like we're trying to replicate in the j stand the singing section and red army section would it be possible to have a single giant wall of United fans replicating something of what the old Stratford end was. I don't know. We'll, time will tell. It's going to be it? years and years in the making this because of design, planning, yeah. planning permission. We have in Andy Burnham someone who says, has said publicly, they'll be completely supportive. They kind of have to be because, I mean, they have bent the knee to Abu Dhabi and everything City want to do. So they better fucking pony up some mm. uh, cash and resources. Uh, for, for supporting United now. And that, that brings me on to another, the other thing that Ratcliffe has said and was kind of leaked out previously is they're looking for leveling up money to support the regeneration. And, and he's a bit kind of opaque, I'd say, in what he said about whether it should be, he, he said a national stadium in the north. And I think that would suggest they're looking for taxpayer support on the actual stadium build. That may be tricky, but regeneration money for the area. And for transport links, why not? I mean, why mm-hmm. not? I mean, you talked about the London Stadium. That is entirely taxpayer-funded. And of the Olympic Park, Queen Elizabeth Park around it, yeah. and the transport, entirely taxpayer-funded. West Ham are benefit- benefiting from it for the next 100 years and they pay £3 million a season. So why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I'm just looking forward to the hysterical media outrage that, Manchester United benefiting from the taxpayer. City and West Ham playing entirely taxpayer-funded and owned stadiums. Arsenal and Tottenham took out <laughs> below inflation loans during the pandemic. Taxpayer-funded, by the way, Bank of England loans. So, I don't know. Taxpayers and seem to fund some of it, some clubs. What do you think of just what Man United is as a brand uh, and, and what it does for the country in, in, in so many different... like. In a lot of a lot of countries around the world, like one of the the things that you would say about when you say to someone, "I'm from England" or whatever, they would literally say Manchester United. Manchester United, it's Bobby Charlton, weird. the Queen, in that order, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, we should just replace like, the royal family and uh, use that money to to fund Old Trafford. In fact, they can they can move. There'll be plenty of space. We'll have the stadium tour and the uh, museum at one end, and the royal family can move into the basement at the other end. There you go, and can two birds with one stone. But we are just a, a world's famous organi- uh, institution that, like, massively benefits this country. And I guess people forget that a lot of the time. Yeah. If Toyota wants to create a new car plant, that would have a massive tax break. So, I don't know. These It'll obviously create a lot more noise than, than might be the case with an alternative club because United are the soap opera. Yeah, I just can't wait for those bloody Jeremy Vine TV 
phone phone in things or whatever they has sports horn done one yet colin from portsmouth (laughs) yeah they are really good they are really good yeah but anyway radcliffe's got a solid argument there let's see where he goes with it i mean of course the counter argument is he's fabulously wealthy so why does he need the taxpayer to fund any of this and and we'll see what we'll see what happens but i think there's a clear direction of travel i have to say one thing i've enjoyed over the last couple of days is (laughs) is people uh winding up the Qatari flag shaggers. You don't yes. see that a lot anymore, do you? In Twitter bios, the, the flag it seems to have disappeared. But yes, oh there were a God. few of them that who either sat on the fence or who were publicly boosting Qatar, who've gone very fucking quiet. And it's hilarious as well, like literally selling out their, all their morals and, and, and soul for literally just some AI-generated bloke on Twitter. Like, yeah. come on, look, have a look. Hopefully, hopefully it'll mean that they actually do have a look at themselves and kind of go, I doubt it. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be as morally bankrupt as as, as I was. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, not going to be a dick and name and shame, but like we, we know who some of these people are, including some people who sat on the fence for months and months and months because they wanted to protect their relationships with the club, some media folk. And I kind of understand why they did that, but to now turn around and go, oh, I never wanted the Qataris, and uh, I don't know, I don't buy it. To the other end, right, it's okay to name and shame because he's such a public figure, but, you know, Goldbridge, who said, and I'm glad people have shared this clip, who said, this is the end of the club if Ratcliffe takes over. And now seems to have completely forgotten he said that. So i know he's an entertainment figure not an actual news source so put it in that context but i i just yeah some of it is some of it is very strange but i do be, quite be, find be, there's a there's a chap who did a really good breakdown on all the legal aspects of the uh tender doc and the um the transaction action document and all the related materials that came out called ollie underscore was underscore right on twitter uh, he's a us-based lawyer who's taken great delight in winding up all the previous flag shaggers I just, I like quite enjoy it, uh, but yeah, but, we all want to like we'll say, come together. We'll we'll heal this divided community, and uh, we, we'll go forward together as one. But um, in the short term, fuck fucking hell, those people who were quite prepared to sell themselves out to a abusive state just for the few better people kicking the football. Have a good hard look at yourself. You say that he's not a news source and he's just an entertainer, but people do see him, like especially like young lads and stuff. Yeah, which is mostly his fan base, like who know no better because they're kind of just they've seen Goldbridge and they're big YouTubers, or maybe they're just getting into football for the first time or getting into United for the first time. And and I can remember when I used to get into United when I was really getting into United, there were thankfully a lot of good people on Twitter that I used to follow and. And there were certain like journalists who were out there and it was a lot less murky, like the whole kind of online world. Like those people were kind of seeing it. They, they do see him as an authority, like rightly or wrongly. Yeah. And it's really dangerous. Like what these kind of people, the way that these people like walk themselves around and they, they might say, oh yeah, I'm an entertainer in the same way that fucking Alex Jones did when he was in court and said, oh yeah, none of it's real his believers believe it's real. And in the mm. same way as that, Goldbridge's believers believe what he says mm. and what everything that comes out of his mouth because in a lot of cases, they don't know any better. So it's fucking yeah. dangerous and they should fucking know better because they're adults. 
And this may be unfair, but I, you don't half get the impression that the Venn diagram of Andrew Tate followers and Goldbridge followers is a perfect circle. Maybe unfair, but mm-hmm. it feels feels kind of yeah, same vibe, same energy. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll heal as one and move forward. Manchester United community is a better day today. I, I do think it's going to take a long time for this all to play out, and we're going to have to have some patience in the short in the short term. It's going to be making the right decisions this summer. And we'll see if Ashworth's in place by then. Maybe difficult. But in the meantime, it looks like they're going to make a bunch of appointments. And it's a really big summer because United have been hamstrung for years and years and years by not being able to pull off enough deals and then getting cornered as a result. And they're going to be shipping out a lot of players this summer, I think, including trying to find money for Sancho, who's not doing himself any favours right now. At least he hasn't gone on strike from training, although it may, 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 may happen. Greenwood, who's doing all right in Spain. That is a thing that Ratcliffe came out today. I don't know if you saw that Ratcliffe had some words about Greenwood and he said that he basically didn't say that Greenwood isn't going to be allowed back and kind of left the door open for him, which was concerning on yeah. day one. Well... Let, let's be charitable and say that was about uh, maintaining his market value. Because if you're trying to get rid of a toxic mm-hmm. asset, you get toxic asset. I mean, because Greenwood, in, in the current market, it should fetch over $100 million, right? If it was just him, without all the baggage, yeah. he's a young, talented, English goal scorer. Like, every box ticked for a £100 million player. Realistically, United are going to get less than half of that because he's a toxic asset and... I don't know how true that report was that said that Getafe get 20% cut, which is incredible if that's true. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see about that it one. Must be the first first of its kind if that is true. Yeah. He, he's doing, he's, do, he's been doing all right. And he's got a few goals. He's playing basically as a wide player, but often in a 4 4 2 and, you know, in an average team. So. Yeah, that'll be one of the sales that'll happen. Sancho will be another. I'm, I'm sure it'll be one of the sales, whatever Ratcliffe has said. I'm sure, I'm sure. I can't believe they'd try and bring him back. It would take a massive, massive mayor culpa push on Greenwood's part, which he has shown no inclination to do in order to repair the damage. And even then, yeah, I, I, yeah, we want to move forward. We don't want rapists at the club. Alleged, sorry, alleged. Yeah, don't, don't do a Bellingham. Yeah, top man, top man. <laughs> so, yes, they'll chip a few out. We'll, we'll see on, yeah, on obviously, Van der Beek will go. Not we, not that we're going to get very much money for him. Hannibal Medjbri has played five times for Sevilla. Not very many minutes. There was a report this morning saying that it doesn't look like they're going to try and execute the option to buy, which was a 20 million euro option. Still, there should be a market for him. He's a good enough player that someone will want him, even if it's not quite working out for whatever reason. It's Sevilla. I'm not sure why. Who else? Maguire will yeah, see. He, there'll he, be a decision that, that, on there. That, so. that move for Hannibal was difficult. Like Sevilla are a team who are massively underperforming. And to go into a team like that, especially when it's a massive club, is always always difficult for any young player. And, and, and their team is still good. Uh, they've got players like Rakitic who... Like he's still a world class player, I think. So it was always a difficult move. He's he's, he's still got plenty of promise. Yeah, I Hannibal's think. competing with Sumare, the the 
Leicester on low knee for replacing midfield by the looks of it, as you do. All right, we have a game at the weekend against Fulham, which is a kind of mixed bag from Fulham this season. They they are not in a relegation fight, really. They're not pushing further than that. You, They obviously lost Mitrovic, their uh, principal goal scorer in the summer, who they haven't obviously replaced. But Marcus Silva, he's a kind of pretty known quantity now in England, and he's produced a decent side. Yeah, they're, they're really similar, apart from, like you say, Mitrovic to last season. They've still got Andreas Pereira playing behind the big, the big, striker which is now the Moniz who, who yeah. scored a couple and in, in, I think he scored three in their last two actually who's who looks decent enough and then they've obviously still got Jao Palinia who's yeah. I, I guess going to move on in the summer like United were obviously linked to him at one point and Bayern were linked to him I think he almost he almost went to Bayern didn't he last summer That's they're right. a, I think they're a team that are perfectly set up to play United in a way in for as in for us like because they're they're quite open. They don't come and sit and defend. They're not that quick on the counter attack. They like to play football. They like to keep the ball. And I think when they te- when they play teams that again and higher in the division, then they usually do for one stop. Though they they nearly beat Arsenal, I think, earlier in the season away mm-hmm. from home, and they've had some good results and they've got some good players. But I think they're about as middle as the road as it gets. And also, yeah. I think they're just the team that even. United, like this kind of era, United are a team that we usually do beat. And I think I genuinely, I wouldn't look at many fixtures throughout the season and and be more confident than than playing Fulham at home. To be honest, I, I, yeah, it's just perfect team for us to play. I think. Well, yeah, we'll see whether we get the kind of basketball style game that we got last time out from United. That was way too open. Even against Wolves, mm-hmm. actually, where United were better and had more control for an hour, it was way too open. And uh, I looked at all the last five, six games, United have averaged between 16 and 23 shots against each game. It's just way too much. Um, and a mixed bag on the XG there, but just, just yeah, people still walk straight through our midfield. Obviously, it's got a bit more solidity with Kobe Mainu and Casemiro there, but it, it's just very apparent that Casemiro's legs have gone. He needs to just sit in front of our box and just play that role. He just can't cover enough ground if he if he pushes forward at all. And so he gets caught all the time. Nearly, nearly. I mean, either he gets caught because he's out of position, caught fouling, or just caught in terms of space and positioning. He just can't cover enough anymore. I'm sure, 100% sure that'll be an area they look at in the summer to either to move him on, but definitely to bring some more legs into midfield. So that that's a worry, just how easy it is to counter against United. As you said, I didn't see a lot of pace from Fulham. I don't think they're that quick. So it's not like they're the most dangerous team in, in that respect for United. I, I'm just surprised how much, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, maybe like the in, you know, the... Pointers have been there all along, but just how much United have gone from trying to become a possession-dominant side last season to mixed results to being very inconsistent in doing that, but at least doing the high-pressing bit in the first part of this season to 
pretty much giving up on that and just becoming a counter-attacking side now. It looks like, and this is again very reductive, but it looks like Oli Ball right now. Last five or six games. Yeah. The, the big concern for me is just like the rest of defense. Like, it's, and, and the way we give the ball away so cheaply, like, I think Bruno is one of the big culprits for this because he drifts wide, he drifts deep, and then he tries up one of his Hollywood passes and and then automatically, if it, if it doesn't work out, then the other team are on the attack. And Bruno, as being one of the central players in the system, is is completely out of position. And then they're straight onto the mid, midfield too. And if Casemiro has also gone wandering at this point as well, then they're straight on Mainu. Or if Mainu has been caught up straight up field, then they're straight onto Casemiro. And yeah, and that that's the problem with the the chaotic nature of of the way that we play football is that. We don't build attacks with a clear structure with players like City do where people are five or ten yards apart from each other and there's structured spaces. So when they lose the ball, then they're in a great position to press back and get the ball and then the other team can't transition and just count on them straight away. Whereas when we lose the ball and we because we turn the ball over, usually within five passes almost every single time we get the ball, it's just so frustrating. And I think mm. it almost comes from a from a position of feeling like, especially against Luton, going down to two one, they're like, Oh, we need to go and get another goal now because we've conceded. And then they just get almost get into this frenzy and like, Oh, we need to just we need to just go. Oh. We need to score, and then like <laughs> so they play these stupid, play these stupid passes, give the ball away, and the other team come for- hurling forward, and then we get the ball away, ball again, and they're like, "What do we need to score?" And then I, they give the ball away, and then it just keeps happening, like you say, like this this end to end basketball game happens, and and it's just chaos. And I think yeah. it, it comes from the manager in one respect, but it's also the players that like, we don't have the the calmness to just go, okay, let's build yeah. an attack. Let's put 10 passes together. Let's try this, try that. And then if we do lose the ball, then we'll win it back again. And we, we don't have to just, and yeah, it's that, it's that just improving like the temperament of the team and also improving the way we build attacks. But I don't know if that is kind of the way to, I think they, it maybe is part of the strategy to just break on them as quickly as possible. But well, I think right now, now it doesn't work. Yeah, but it yeah, just doesn't I work mean, because like, we, the passes we play aren't good enough. Currently. No, that, that's right. I mean, we've we've speculated a lot about what the endpoint of Ten Hag's process is here, but it feels. I mean, yeah, it's so vertical at the moment in terms of like getting the ball from back to front. I don't mean long ball football. I just mean quick transitions. So vertical mm. and and very very low percentage or high risk football, which they are creating chances from. But also they're not structured well enough. So yeah, City, obviously they're trying to play a very different style of football. But one of the reasons why Guardiola has played Stones in central midfield alongside Rodri or Akanji now is to make sure when De Bruyne gives it away, because he gave the ball away, Bruyne gave the ball away 17 times against Luton. De Bruyne gave the ball away 32 times in their in their game at the weekend, right? So they have the player that's making taking all the risks. And, and Guardiola likes to play one controller and one runner in wide areas. You know, he's always balanced. And, but, but he can get away with that. Or City can get away with taking those risks in the final third because behind them, they have people eating up the space and stopping the, stopping the break 
So they can't stop it with the press up front. They stop it with the mid block in midfield, and they don't give anyway away as anywhere near as many chances as United do. United are not set up in central midfield to play the high risk football at, at, at the front if they're not going to win the ball back straight away. And they, they do turn over the ball quite a lot, like win turnovers in high areas, but they also give away the ball a lot. And so, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's all kind of balanced up yet. I look to address that in the summer, I hope, with, with some of the personnel, but I couldn't tell you what football we'll get next season. I know what we'll get now. I think I think it just looks like He's gone. Okay, the best way to win now is to is to uh, is to sit in the mid block and and try and break fast. Yeah, he's won four to... in a row, five with the cup game. So that's proving out. And if United keep on doing that, then he'll be right, Ten Hag, and he'll keep his job. It feels like mid Fergie fo- mid nineties Fergie football with less quality. Like yeah, the, yeah. the times where we used to just like if you score four and we'll score five type of thing. But we just don't have the quality to. Well, it's. But though, having said that, like you say, we're on a, we're on a good run at the moment. But Luke Shaw being out this weekend is a is a huge loss and huge loss. It it it's 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 working the last few games because we feels like when you look at the team, it's like wow, this team's decent. It's, it's good, but one or two players pulling out of falling out of that team, Luke Shaw being a big one, then. Again, the team becomes a lot weaker, and and then we will struggle to put results together because so much of it is reclining and requiring individual quality and class. And yeah, and and Lindelof isn't the answer at left back. Not a left back. I'd rather. Well, definitely, Dallo has to play at left back if Shaw's out. I mean, he's having a good season, Dallo. Yeah. For all the criticism we've given him, I think he's yeah. much improved in his all round game. And but Lindelof at left back is a disaster. So Dallo on the left and. Maybe it's Lindelof on the right. I don't know how and where Aaron Wan-Bazaka is at the moment. I guess he's he's not fit. So I don't know what the other options are. They, they just aren't. We have we've shipped out three fullbacks on loan and Molestia's perma injured. I sent one of the, the other fullbacks back on loan. The, the fullback we had on loan sent him back. Yeah, we could do with cancelling Alvaro Fernandez's loan to Benfica. It's such... That was weird. That was curious, right? I never they, understood. Never understood so, that. So he's gone out to Granada, and then they do this deal with Benfica, where it's a loan with an option. He's obviously behind. Who's Grimaldo? Isn't it the left back? But he's sure. obviously behind. So he's struggling for minutes there. He's struggling for minutes at Granada because he was behind the captain in the baking order there. And at the same time, we ship, we cancel Reguilón's loan gone to Brentford, probably about his level. But I mean, we've got one few options at left back and Malassia is nowhere near fit. He's still out with his knee injury. So it's just a curious, really, really curious about what the squad uh, planning was there. I completely agree. And I, I, I think Reguillon is really limited and he's not a Man United footballer, but he's better than Lindelof at left back. And he also, yeah. because he's left, because he's also left footed and reasonably okay at attacking. He's not Luke Shaw, but he's all he's all right. He also yeah. just brings a just balance to the attack. Balance, yeah. And when when you, when you play obviously Lindelof, it doesn't. And also when you play in Dallow at left back, it doesn't because Dallow has to play almost as that centre midfielder as, as he's done a lot. Like 
when when he has played at left back. Whereas at least with Reguilon, you get he's going to play like a left back, and he makes the whole team symmetrical in, in the way that you set up, and it makes Marcus Rashford less predictable with what he's going to do because he has an overlapping runner and stuff. Yeah, and 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 that's the same thing with Alvaro. Like, okay, say you think Reguilon's so shit that he doesn't deserve to be at United. Then you send him back, but at least Alvar is great at going forward. Like defensively, like I know there's so many questions about him, and he's quite slow as well. Like his positioning, he got caught out a lot at Brentford last season. But like going forward, he's so good, and again bringing balance because he's a left foot, left back. Like I, I don't, I, yeah. Like, when, like you say, when it comes to squad playing, I don't understand those at all, and and I, I just don't like a right footer playing at left back either. I mean, it, unless uh, the, unless, unless you're so good Irwin. at dribbling. Exactly. I was unless. about to say, unless you're so good at dribbling on the outside, like Dennis Irwin used to be like dribbling onto his left foot and crossing the ball with your weaker foot, then you can get away with it. But there are so few footballers who can do that. Sometimes the low does, but then you play on Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who's played at left back a couple of times a season he can't really kick the ball with his left foot. And Lindelof can't really kick the ball with his left foot either. So you just you just become so predictable. you like a Sunday league team where you're basically playing your right back at left back because you haven't got a left foot player. Yeah, all very odd to, to be fixed, this kind of squad planning, I think. All right, that's it. Thanks a lot, folks. Bonus content for Patreon backers at patreon.com slash NQATpod if you'd like to get our bonus show and merch and stuff like that. We... I'm very grateful for your support, uh, but we're going to talk about Marcus Rashford report in the papers today that uh, PSG are interested in replacing Mbappe, who's off to Real Madrid, with Rashford. So we're going to have a chat about that. And uh, everyone else will catch you the weekend. Thanks a lot. All right, backers, thank you very much for your support. As always, we are going to talk about Marcus Rashford. So um, first, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, it's uh, pretty much widely reported that he's off to Real Madrid. And no surprise there. Uh, he'll be taking just the 15 million euros a year home as a basic salary. Apparently, that was a reduction in terms from the previous offer. And 150 million euros over five years as a signing on bonus, uh, which I guess is the kind of fee they'd have had to pay anyway. So, um, yeah, first thoughts on Kylian Mbappe to Real Madrid? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's an obvious one, isn't it? It's, it's obviously going to happen. But I feel like there are probably so few instances where such a world-class talent is wanted by so few clubs because you've got the, the ego there you've got the fact that he doesn't track back he can only he can only kind of play in one or two positions I feel like he's really not a player that would improve that many teams elite teams yeah in world in, in world football like obviously he'd improve Brentford if you put him in the Brentford team it'd probably improve like a lot of championship teams as well but like I'm talking like elite of the elite I wouldn't want him at United. I genuinely wouldn't want him at United. That sounds probably ridiculous. Like, oh yeah, you wouldn't want Mbappe at United. But I feel like he's he's such a risk. He he he'll upset the equilibrium of the club. Not that the equilibrium of Man United's like particularly great right now, but like as in my 
of my utopian United team. He, he I wouldn't put him in it. He, like he wouldn't, like he wouldn't fit into somewhere like Liverpool. He wouldn't, I don't think, fit into Arsenal. Though he was rumored to go there. Obviously, he was rumored to go to Liverpool as well. Like City, I think you need to be to be a, a, a team player and a squad player. Like you need to be more of a a selfless man in in in, yeah. in football today. And he's not that player. Like no. at an international level, he's great because he wins games on his own. Well, and that's it. The explosive moments. A lot different. Yeah. You don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to track back as much. It's not about systems that much. It's not about. It's not about. You don't have a coordinated press. Blah blah blah. But we've not. We've seen moments at club level in the Champions League, but we've not seen him anywhere near as effective for PSG as we have for France. And I think. I think it'd be an enormous risk to, to him to go to the Premier League. He'd be great in moments, for sure. But like, would he make a lot of teams better in the Premier League? I'm not sure. And I don't know if he makes Real Madrid better. Well, it's like, interesting, I think isn't it? is amazing. Yeah. And he plays in that same position. Yeah, yeah. One of them's going to have to move. I mean, Mbappe has said it previously that he likes playing off the left because of the space it affords him. And, and in those sort of clutch moments, he's better than almost anyone, isn't he? So the uh, his oh, yeah. ability to finish from anywhere we saw in the World Cup final, for example, but obviously years of, years of evidence here that he does that. And from that point of view, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. In the Real Madrid side where they both want to play off that left-hand side, Vinicius and him, is he going to play through the centre? A, a position he basically didn't want to play. We'll see. Is Vinicius going to do it? Are they going to get rid of Rodrigo and, and move Vinicius over? What happens to Arda Gula? Who's the player they brought in and Rodrigo and so on? So yeah, I mean, obviously not our problem, but they are amassing a collection. I mean, the reason they can do it is they've well, partly the reason is we gave them a hundred million for a couple of aging players, <laughs> help their finances somewhat. They've been very parsimonious over the last five six years. Actually, if you look at their spending, it's not much. They've tried to get freebies or they negotiate hard. They've sold very very well. I mean, you know, seriously, ninety-five million pounds for Casemiro and Rafa Varane. On the face of it, like two world-class players won five Champions Leagues each, or whatever it is, and something like that. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, but actually, injury proneness of Rafa Varane, which we spoke about when he came, maybe Paul at the time, and, and Casemiro's ageing legs, which was fairly obvious, I think, for anyone who watched a bit of La Liga, have kind of proven to be good sales for them. And it's, the, it's this kind of smart sort of management of the transfer market that allows them to do this mega deal and be comfortably within all their financial limits. And in fact, he's on a salary that doesn't... But although he's going to get a massive amount of money, his actual salary salary is, is about the same as everyone else at the club. But this transfer also doesn't really fit into their, the way that they've been operating recently because they have kind of swapped from buying world-class ready-made players to buying the player who is going to be world-class, like in the way that they've done it with Kamavinga, Chuomeni, yeah. Bellingham, I would argue as well, like Vinicius, Rodrigo, Militao. Like they've changed the way that they operate to be this t- this club who... A little bit like City do, I guess, really, by the the that level that is going to be 
become the best. Yeah, well, Endrick as well is going there. So Endrick, and then they're talking about Alfonso Davies as well, aren't they? Like this, this kind of crop of like twenty, like what I guess eighteen to twenty-three year olds or whatever, they've got almost all of the best players in the world, like in each position of that age group. Whereas this doesn't. This feels like the old Real Madrid, really. Like it's like oh, shiny thing, shiny thing, and then like we need to, we need to get that shiny thing because we're Real Madrid, mm-hmm. and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like it, it could send them to a new level. It could help them to compete again with the English clubs, which I feel like I guess that's what they're a little bit fearful of that they're they're losing their, their yeah. stardom and, and being in in kind of La Liga in this absolute shit shit show of a, a league where the other best team in uh, completely in financial disarray and you've got the Premier League, the shiny Premier League, which has got all the best players and all the best managers and all the best clubs. Um maybe they kind of think, oh shit, we need to just strike while the iron's hot here and, yeah. and sign him. And and they'll bring it's part of his vision, isn't it? So they no, it, it keeps obviously they've never dropped the idea, their dream of hanging the Super League. You look at their revenue in Barcelona like if you take out PSG and City, who are obviously like you can ask some question marks about exactly where they get their their money from. Real Madrid and Barcelona are the two highest revenue generating clubs in the world. Like it's not they don't need more money to compete, and and so it's slightly odd that they keep chasing this this dream. Well, Barcelona need more money because mm-hmm. they're broke. In fact, La Liga has put a new cap on two hundred seven million. Is going to be their financial cap for next season. Which is yeah tight, uh, hence hence all the stories about selling Frankie De Jong again, who won't end up at United because he earns like half a million a, a week. Anyway, the 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 player that they may PSG may replace him with, yeah, long speculated because Nasser Al Khalifi apparently is a big fan is is Marcus Rashford, who's having one of his off seasons, a little better in recent weeks, but clearly like four goals or whatever it is 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 not what he should be scoring for a player of his, his ceiling. I guess the question here is, if, if PSG came along with, I don't know, what, what's a good fee? 60, 70, 80 million? Would you take it? I think it'd have to be over 100 for me to take it. And uh, would I? You are Dan Ashworth. Ooh, it's a really difficult. It, it's a really difficult question. I think I would. I think I would. You'd want, because, a, you'd want a big fee, wouldn't you? But it's hard because he's just signed this new contract. And he's, it's obviously, that's part of the overall package. It's going to be a massive amount of I, money. I genuinely would for a hundred, even though that's not even that much in this day and age because we signed Anthony for 80 odd and Rashford is a lot better. John, John Murta should be forced to and it, personally pay for that. I know it's not just him <laughs> that signed off, on, but he should be. You're like, John... It's going to take you the next 50 years to pay this off, but you're paying the difference between what we paid for that player and what the analyst said he was worth. It's your fault. You're doing it. I know that's not going to happen, but I would do it. And if we if we ended up selling Rashford and then splurging 80-odd million on something like that again, then obviously it looked like the worst piece of business of all time. But the thing is, the reason why I would do it is because Rashford doesn't guarantee consistent output and we've seen that like it is best Rashford is unbelievable and like we saw last year he was just fantastic and 
irrepressible and just just a phenomenal footballer. This season, he's not been. And there's been too many times like that where he's not he's not someone you rely on to score 30 goals a season. No, I wish he was. And that's right. Yeah. And, and, and I think I feel like we're some of Rashford's biggest backers and sort of Rashford's biggest lovers. I, I really appreciate him. And, and I'm a big defender of his when he gets pounced upon by the trolls, but he's not, it's not reliable enough to be because, well, it's just evidence, clear evidence. We've seen it season after season. We've seen it some seasons where he is good enough and he and he can be relied upon. But this season again, like if if I, I don't know, found a hundred million pound player who can play on the left wing and to replace Rashford for for selling him for the same price, I would, I think I would do it. Yeah. And I, I don't see how he's going to be in a position. I don't know if it's a mental thing or or, or a technical thing. I don't know if he's capable of doing it. Like technically, I think I think that like anyone probably is. Well, anyone with his talent is capable of doing it, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And I, I'd almost cut my losses with him, which just sounds a bit mad. You, you kind of hang it. It's such a huge move, right. though. It's, it's it's such a huge move, though, because it's so risky. Because you you do that, and you're like, you kind of like what United this kind of. This guy was supposed to be like the face of your franchise. Like he came through the academies, a Manchester boy, and you're selling it. It feels like a, a Chelsea thing to do. It doesn't feel like a right. Man United thing to do. And if he goes on to win the Champions League with PSG, then you look like a complete fool. So there's so much, there's so much risk to it. Part of and the question is not uh, that much reward. You know, I mean, like I, I hate it because he's one of our own, and I hate like even thinking about it. But like, absolutely, you look at the last four years—not just this season, last four years. Crap, no, no, crap, no. brilliant, crap. It's very reductive, but basically, and he scored goals in that time. But we should have seen much more of last season all the time, and we haven't. And and like even now, the setup should be perfect for him playing this transitional football where i mean he causes part of the chaos of course because because he is so willing and asked to take players on all of the time and that's high risk and you do you will be sometimes you'll lose the ball sometimes it's going to result in a brilliant goal and we've seen both so yeah i hate thinking about it but it's going to it's going to be partly about united squad planning do they think garnacho's like proper position is going to be off the left Will he score enough goals to justify taking that? Will they bring in a support striker or bring in someone else on the right? What happens with Anthony? Because his output is zero, literally, this season, but also figuratively. <laughs> and and then, like, on the PSG side, like, they're, like I was just looking right now. Like, they're, they're forward line currently. Mbappe, Ramos, who they spent 80 million on. Dembele, who they got on a free. Or, no, it actually wasn't free, was it? Because he just signed a new contract before they spent money on him. Marco Asensio, who was a free. Randall Colo Muani, who they spent loads of money on. And Bradley Barcoa, the, the youngster who's sort of coming through, right? So, and isn't Javi Simons their player as well? So, am I mixing that yeah, up? Yeah. yeah, he is, right. So, they've got a lot of forwards already. Mbappe's going. Maybe they want another off the left hand side. You can kind of understand that because no one else is sort of that player. Like, so, so it's partly United squad planning and what we want to do in terms of development, and, but also Paris Saint Germain's squad planning. And whether you know Rashford would fit neatly into that with all the other options they've got. Ossiman seems even less like they've got two eighty million pound forwards already. Why do they need Ossiman? 
brilliant though he is, mm. seems seems a little odd. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with Rashford when you kind of you spoke about his his, his seasons. They've not all been his fault. He's had injuries. He's not been the right fit in the system. He's had chaos going on around him. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he hasn't been good. And though he hasn't though he hasn't had everything around him to make him great, I still think a true a truly like world class footballer still shines throughout mm. no matter kind of what's happening like even when like United was shit Ibrahimovic would score loads of goals even when Udinese was shit Di Natale would still score shit loads of goals every single season like that's what you expect from someone as good as Rashford but he just hasn't been able to do it and yeah I don't think just I just looking don't think at his goals it feels like such a hypothetical yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, Tom. I mean, it's his goal tally. He's been in the team like eight years now. It's amazing. Like, he's still, I don't know where all that time's gone. Eight, 11, 13, 13, 22, 21, 5, 30, and 5 this season. And it's the, like, he had this children for injury in the five before season four last. And that, that may have played into it, but something felt wrong there. The season before when he got 21, I don't think he was playing that well then even though he, he's, no. he's got a decent number of goals. Obviously, last season, brilliant. A lot of goals, a lot fit. He was fit most of the season as well, which I think helps a lot. This season, I keep waiting to hear a story that says he's not quite fit. There's something wrong. Because I, I can't yeah. work out why he's been so bad. And it's not just the lack of output. It's the kind of listlessness and directionlessness. God, I can't get that out directionlessness of his performances which uh, which is the really concerning thing and also it's very tabloid but but what he did and went to Belfast like showing his lack of commitment to the to the football club like that is it's not unforgivable but it's when really you bad. are struggling yeah. so much it's really just just visually it's terrible like the optics of it are terrible like even if the the consequences of your actions on the worst in the world because you're going to get a hangover for two days. Like a, a committed footballer just would not do that. And a person whose head is in the right space would not do that. Yeah. And that's another thing that kind of makes me question, say if a hundred million pound was on, on the table, is this player really committed to making himself the best player he can be in the next few years? Like, I think from it's what a we've fair seen, question. Is it all about the high performance coming back to Brailsford to get comfrey? <laughs> and, yeah. And maybe, yeah, when, when all the slogans are on the, on the, on the wall in the dressing room and, and then maybe he'll turn into this absolute beast. And I think that's the most frustrating thing about him. There is a beast inside there. There is a, there is a, an absolute world-class player just, just, Wait, like a, like a caged animal, like waiting to to come out and score thirty goals season upon season. I just don't know if we'll ever see that Marcus Rashford, mm. and and I think almost almost think maybe for him, like it would probably be best to to get out of United and, and maybe spread his wings. A bit I do feel sorry that he's it had might be the so best. much chaos around him 
the club, so many different yeah, managers. Yeah, yeah. And it, you, you feel like if you'd had a, a single manager all these years who was very focused on development, that, and we kind of felt like last season with Eric Ten Hag, it, he's a coach's coach. He's, he's on the training ground. Mm-hmm. He, he's focused on detail and thought, ah, yeah, he's got a manager that suits him really well. And if he'd had that all these years, then maybe he would have become the player that his ceiling is really high, but we just don't see it very often. And and that's the frustration. The other the other thing to think about, and we'll come into the calculation, is he's an academy product. It's absolutely pure profit. On yeah. pure it's pure profit from an FFP perspective. Given United's current financials, that would like eighty million, you'd go and book it all now. Even if the cash is gonna be over four or five years or whatever, all on the books right now solves a massive problem. It's an interesting point about like him living in this chaos because if you are a, uh, an academy product, you are you are a little bit hamstrung really because you're you're put into a place, especially at United, you're put into a place where there are not many places you can go higher, and you're I think in a in a way like Welbeck did kind of well to to leave the club in a lot of ways because. You, you're hamstrung by your surroundings and your environment, and you don't want to leave because it's your like, it's your team. You've come through there. You've been there for so long. It feels like your level, but sometimes you just need a change of scenery. You need a different setting. You need a different philosophy of football to just to reset yourself as a person, really. But you don't want to because this is your club. This is the level you belong at. You want to take United to, you want to be the Ryan Giggs. You want to be the, the Paul Scholes. But it, in in an environment with Fergie being the the main man, it's it's a lot easier than being the the guy under Van Hall, the being the guy under Mourinho, and and that's going to have it has had such an effect on him as as a person, not knowing where to turn, like feeling all this having so many voices in his head of what he needs to be as a person, what he needs to be as a player. And and maybe it is just like it has really just worn him down after all these years. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Well, I think if if it doesn't pick up, I mean, I don't like last four or five games has felt better yeah, yeah, yeah. against Luton. But if he manages to convert that into a lot of goals in the last third of the season, it's obviously good for United. And he needs it really because he's got to be at risk of missing out on the Euros, which mm-hmm. has been a big part of his career as well. Much as we like to say fuck England on, you know, as United fans, that's important to him. And he's not he's not actually started that many games under Gareth Southgate. 60 caps now, but if you look at his record under Southgate, he doesn't just doesn't start him very often. So that will definitely be in his thinking. There's a real big chance he doesn't make it to the Euros if he continues in crappy form. So you'd hope that would focus the mind. Um, but both, you know, his his performances towards the end of the season, what PSG want to do, and, and United's FFP position, all kind of factor into this and be interesting. It may it may just be speculation. He obviously has that great big, long, very healthy contract, which is in the way of doing any deals. But I ideal scenario, he finds his feet again. He's brilliant for United, and we can just stop all this talk. And this is all nonsense. And it's tomorrow's chip paper in podcast form. Yeah, that, that is that is the ideal scenario because obviously there's such a player in there. Like I say, there's there is a beast, there is a beast, and there is a world class talent there. It's just, yeah, 
we've not often in our season, yeah. season. But like you say, like that's four or five games. He's, he has been better, and, and and being on that left side, unfortunately, Shaw's injured again now, so yeah, he's not going to have that sidekick there. But he also just needs a few goals, or like just even if it's just a few scrappy ones off. Like last season, it felt like every shot he was having was going in, and this season yeah. it just feels like they're going straight at the keeper or they're getting blocked or whatever. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of luck will hopefully swing the momentum a little bit as well. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, everyone, for supporting us. We do appreciate it, and we will catch you at the weekend.